Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I am joined this morning by Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. Good morning, Mary. Nice to work with you again today. Good morning, Denny. Great to hear your voice and good to be here. There's a lot going on in the garden with people harvesting and time to reseed lawns. Lots to talk about today. Absolutely, and we certainly welcome uh, your uh, question either by phone or by text. It's the same number, uh, 651-989-9226. And and if you're a regular listener to our Smart Garden Show, you know we tend to get really busy. So don't wait. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, give it to us now, either by phone or by text. Again, 651-989-9226. You know, Mary, when uh, Teresa was with us, uh, I believe it was last week, um, we were talking about fertilizing or not to fertilize. I know this is, we're coming to a point in time for our lawns, this is a great time for fertilization, but uh, not so much with shrubs and plants, and and I'm trying to think of what question she was answering, but is that kind of true generally this time of year, not to fertilize? Well, uh, when we're in a drought condition, we uh, think of not fertilizing at that time because that's stressful for plants. But as long as there is adequate um, uh, moisture, uh, the fall is the ideal time to fertilize lawns. So we like to think about mid between mid-August and mid-September is a perfect time to reseed your lawn. And then through the month of September, uh, maybe into early October, is a good time to fertilize your lawn as well. But she was probably referring to fertilization of trees and shrubs, which can actually, sometimes fertilizer can stimulate new growth. Mm. And in the fall, especially in Minnesota, where we have our our wonderful winters, um, we don't want plants to start growing vigorously as they go into the fall because they can be more damaged uh, by winter conditions. But turf grass is a little bit different because turf grass, the roots grow best in the fall, and of course they're protected by the ground, and they can actually grow and uh, get get quite vigorous and large to compete with weeds. So fall is a good time for lawn fertilization, but not so much trees and shrubs. I think that's uh, you were correct. What she, what Teresa was referring to. Now I keep waiting to uh, do some uh, extra seeding, but every every time I look at the forecast, we're close to ninety degrees every day, and this coming week is no exception until uh, Thursday. Uh, we have what, what do we call here? A, a cool cooler weather grasses. What do you call those? 
Yes, we call them cool season grasses. All of our northern grasses like cool weather conditions, which we normally get um, in the fall, and they will grow best in cooler conditions that we have in the spring and the fall. They often go dormant in uh, in the heat of the summer, in midsummer. But we have tended to have really warm falls the last 10 or 15 years. So we've kind of extended our season into the fall. But this still is a good time to think about seeding, especially if you can do it just before it's going to rain. Oh, yeah. So just ideal. before raining is the best time. Speaking of that, a texture wants to know uh, what kind of seed is the best for the, our part of the country here, grass seed. We still recommend a combination of grass seed. Uh, the fine fescues are my favorite. Those are the ones that are lower maintenance, have a lower fertility requirement, and they grow in the shade. So fine fescues, then perennial ryegrass and Kentucky bluegrass. Those three are the kind of our mainstay. And if you have a sunny lawn and you buy a sunny lawn mix or um, just a, a kind of a normal grass seed mix, you can always look at the label because the law requires that the seed declare exactly what kind of seed it is, how much weed seed is in there. So that's always listed on the label in the fine print. You have to get out your reading glasses for that. But the fine print will tell you. So uh, if Sunny lawn, I'd look for a combination Kentucky bluegrass, perennial rye, and fine fescues. If you have a shady lawn, most of the shady lawn mixes will have a blend of a lot of blend or mixture of uh, numerous fine fescues because there are many kinds of fine fescues. Hmm. All right. 651-989-9226. Uh, texter says this. Oh, by the way, that's uh, that number applies to both phone calls. If you want to chat with Mary, call it in. Or again, text it in, 651-989-9226. Let's see. Text says, good morning. I have noticed on my lilac bushes that the leaves are blackish and dried dead looking. I've noticed this on others around my area in uh, Scandia and Stillwater. Do you have any idea what this may be, blight or bugs? Yes, unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of dead lilacs this summer. Um, the plant disease clinic has found a uh, bacteria disease that's a leaf spot disease. Uh, there are a couple of fungal diseases also that we know lilacs get. We think that the weather conditions this summer, uh, warm and wet, have really contributed to an increase in disease for lilacs. Now, hopefully, this will not be fatal and kill lilacs and that they will still come back next year. They are known for loving, <laughs> loving Minnesota's cold weather conditions. So we have uh, a new publication on lilacs, what's happening, that's up on our uh, website at extension.umn.edu. You can just search for lilacs under Yard and Garden, and that will come up for you with information on that. Um, but uh, hopefully it will outgrow it and the, the, the leaf spot diseases will not be fatal. Mary Meyer is with us on CCO this morning from the University of Minnesota helping you out. 651-989-9226. Tell you what, let's grab a phone call from uh, Tom, I believe, who's calling from South St. Paul this morning. Tom, you're on with Mary. Oh, thank you. Uh, Mary, I have a chance to um, get a couple of catalpa trees um, dig them out of my neighbor's yard that have grown there uh, wildly. 
I just wonder if you think that's a good choice for uh, transplantation and when I should do that. I, I do think that's a good choice, Tom. Catalpa trees are uh, really interesting. They are one of the uh, few large trees that has a big, beautiful flower uh, in the springtime. They have a very large leaf as well. Uh, catalpas, I would move those in early spring, just before they start. the leaves start to come out. Um, you can try, try to get as much of the root ball as possible and then uh, have the hole prepared in your lawn where you're going to plant it before, get that all dug and ready before you go to dig the other uh, tree. Uh, depending on how big these are, uh, you might need to enlist some of your friends or get a dolly or some type of a cart to move this. Uh, but get as much of the root system as you as you can as possible. Uh, catalpas, yeah, they're a fun tree to have, so good for you. All right, very good. Uh, Mary, we need to take a quick break. We have more show to come. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, how's your chance? 651-989-9226. That number, again, applies to both phone calls and text messages. We'll take this break. Be right back on the other side here on News Talk 830 WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny Long here with Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota helping us out with your lawn or garden questions. Call it in or text it in. Same number, 651-989-9226. We'll get to the phones in a moment, but I wanted to get this this uh, text question to you, Mary. Is it possible, texter wants to know, to overwinter strawberries in containers? And if you have any advice on how to do that, if it's possible. Well, you need to bury the container in the ground. So I don't know. Is that possible or not? It, it depends on um, how much uh, work you want to do and if you have the space to bury the container. Uh, the roots of plants are much more susceptible to cold injury than the tops are. So when they're in the ground, they're really protected. So burying the pot is one option. Uh, you can try uh, putting that pot in a cold place, like, you know, um, where it will get down to 30 degrees, but not really, you know, outside temperatures. It, that might do it. Uh, you could try protecting it with bales and so on. That, that might work. But the real, the best way is to really sink the pot into the ground. Hmm. Okay. Let's go back to the phones, Mary. I think Ian is calling in from Roseville this morning. Ian, you are on with Mary. Uh, yeah, hi. Um, I got a question about uh, raspberries. I transplanted about 10 bushes last year, had a great yield. Uh, and then this year, of course, they've spread, probably got three times as many, and yet almost no raspberries. I uh, just wonder what your take on that was and if you had any advice for me. Yes, Ian, um, I think you want to uh, think about pruning the raspberries and make sure that um, you're pruning them to help more uh, fruit production. So we have information about pruning the raspberries uh, on extension.umn.edu. Um, you, you need to cut out a lot of the canes, especially the older canes. Uh, the only other thing I can think of is that uh, the full sun. Uh, raspberries need to be in full sun conditions. If it's shady, that's really difficult to get the fruit to produce. So uh, if you've got a lot of growth there, that's a good sign. 
but a uh, full sun, and then I would uh, make sure you're pruning them correctly. Depending on what type of raspberries there are, uh, if they're summer-bearing or fall-bearing, there are two different ways to do the pruning. All right. Here's a text, Mary. It says, we just hydro-seeded our lawn. How moist should we keep the areas, and can it get overwatered? Well... Uh, you you might be able to overwater it. I don't think you've got too much probability of that happening, especially when we are having such warm, uh, hot conditions. Um, I would really take a trowel and dig around to make sure it isn't sogging, sock, sopping wet and really soggy. Uh, but otherwise, I would think about uh, watering it regularly. We have had quite a bit of water. And again, what's your soil type? If you have clay soil, that's going to hold a lot of the moisture. But if you have sandy soil, uh, it's virtually impossible to water sandy soils too much because they are just so porous, the water goes right through them. So I would take a trowel and, and really look at that and see if, if your trowel come out totally dry with no soil on it, if it's uh, sticky and uh, the soil is sticking to your trowel, then you could be overwatering it. Not Not very often does that happen. All right. Texter wants to know, what are those little dirt mounds in my grass and how do I treat them? I wonder if that's earthworms or if that's mold. Yeah. No, I think usually the mounds of soil are uh, from worms. There are worms uh, excavating in the, in the, uh, the lawn or uh, earth. So actually they do quite a bit of aeration with earthworms, uh, the way they till around in the soil. So that really is normal to see that. With It's uh, caused by earthworms. Oh, okay. Very good. Let's uh, grab a phone call from Ed, who is calling in from Worthington, I believe, this morning. Ed, you are on with Mary Meyer. Hi, Mary. Um, I want you to talk about rooting a, a lilac tree bush. Um, I tried it, and I used a root promoter, but I didn't get any success. Or grafting. Can I graft a lilac or talk about grafting and maybe even an apple tree? Um, yes, Ed, these are ways to propagate a plant that you have. Uh, so with a lilac, um, grafting is the hardest. I will just say you you got to be doing a lot of those and uh, realize that there is going to be a fairly high failure rate. So you've got to make a lot of those grafts. So rooting is the easiest thing if you actually take those young cuttings in the springtime. So the roots are going to come out where there's a node or a leaf, and a rooting hormone does help. And a real porous media, like a sandy media or perlite, uh, vermiculite media that's really uh, light and going to have a lot of aeration to it uh, is helpful. But the timing is what's critical. You can't go pick an old uh, branch and expect that to root. The younger branches have more vigor and ability to root. Um, and then there's this thing called layering. So Actually, this is kind of the easiest way to do it. If you've got a branch of a lilac that you can bend down and hold down with an anchor of a rock or something, uh, it is possible to get a vigorous new plant to grow from that. 
it will form roots down in the soil where you're holding the branch to the soil. But again, it's got to be the, the tip or the newer, younger end of that to actually form the roots down there. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the layering takes, it takes a year or two. So you bend the branch down, you hold it down, and then you leave it there for a couple of years. So that's a, a longer-term way. All right. A listener uh, heard us uh, talking about grass seed earlier in the show, and uh, the question is, what is turf grass? If you want to define that. Yeah, so turf is just another name for, <clears throat> excuse me, another name for lawns. Uh, we think of lawns as, kind of our homeowner uh, grass that we have out there. Turf is more a term that's used for sports fields, for recreation, or for a large expanse of more commercial or recreational use. So it's just another word for grass, really. Cut grass is turf. Which we'll have to do pretty soon here, as soon as... uh this hot weather is done. It, it, it is normal, is it not, Mary, for this, this time of year, maybe more in July, for the grass to go a little dormant and, and not do much? Right. It does that in the heat of the summer. Yes, normally through July and early August, and especially if we don't have a lot of rain, that induces our cool season grasses to go into a dormant period. We've had quite a bit of rain this summer. So, uh, you know, we've had a little bit of drought, but nothing extended. So we haven't seen much dormancy uh, in our uh, cool season grasses. Mm. And, of course, if you have an irrigation system, you won't ever see a dormant uh, in induction of dormancy because there's always enough water. And so uh, you won't have dormant. Very good. Mary, we need to take a break, a bottom-of-the-hour break. We'll have a look at that hot forecast coming up in a moment. 651-989-9226. That's the phone number. It's also the text number here on Smart Garden Show. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here on News Talk 830 WCCO around every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. Thanks to folks like Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota who has joined us uh, today. Mary, I wanted to ask you, what's uh, what's going on at the uh, Arboretum? I always like to ask you that. Yes, Jenny, thank you. The Arboretum is definitely open. Uh, a week from, let's see, the 28th, is that a week from today? A little before that, the 28th, the Apple House is going to open. Oh, but, uh Yeah, so that will be wonderful. But the Arboretum is open. Everyone needs to have a ticket. Members uh, have free entry, and you just go online and can get a ticket. I was looking at it this morning, and if you want to go in an hour, and as uh, short a time as an hour, you can go, so there's plenty of tickets available. Uh, but a great place to walk. Uh, all of the trails are open. You can drive around Three Mile Drive, park in any of the parking areas, and get out and see lots of things to see. The hydrangeas are beautiful. The roses look beautiful. Uh, The color scheme of pinks and reds looks beautiful in the annual garden. So a great place to take a walk. Really is. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, Mary, as usual, we have callers. We have texters here on the show this morning. Let's get to them. Uh, I think Mark is first up here calling from South St. Paul. Mark, you are on with Mary. Yes, good morning. A bit of a question and also a bit of a warning. Where I work, we got a lot of mushrooms coming up. And uh, from past experience, a lot of folks don't know one mushroom from another. And best advice, if you don't know what it is, don't touch it for that. But the question is, for a lot of folks, we don't know how essential 
fungi are for our gardens, our yards and everything, because some cases I've heard that there are trees that can't live without a specific fungus for them. I was wondering if you could uh, elaborate some of that for a lot of folks, please. Thanks, Mark, for bringing this up. So we do see a lot of mushrooms growing when conditions are moist. Humid, moist conditions when the soil gets saturated enables a lot of mushroom spores to germinate. And they may have been there for a long time and not germinated, but when conditions get ripe, uh, ripe and right, they germinate. And you are exactly right. There are many poisonous mushrooms, so it's extremely uh, difficult to tell them apart. So unless you're really an expert and know what you're doing, yes, don't risk uh, eating uh, any mushrooms. And as far as essential fungi, yes, we are still learning about this. This is really fascinating that the mycelia or the the structures that uh, grow like fingers and and like roots, really, of uh, mushrooms or uh, fungus fungi. Yes, many of these are essential and have established a relationship with trees and many plants to help them uh, get more nutrients from the soil. So the the mushroom, the fungi can live off the carbohydrates that plants make, and then the uh, fungi actually can uh, fix nitrogen, other chemicals that are in the soil, and make those uh, enable those to be absorbed by the the trees or plants. So we're just learning about a lot of these things. The 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 Life that goes on in soils is really, truly amazing. So, yes, there's several people that study this, and that's all they study are soil microbes and living things in the soil. Very interesting. Yeah, good questions. A texter wants to know, what could cause a stillbe plants to stay very small and seem to not thrive? Uh, I would say lack of moisture. Uh, Stilbees do tend to like moist conditions. They like uh, high organic matter soil. Um, They don't have to grow in the shade, but they will tolerate shady conditions. But you can only really grow them in sunny, dry locations. Well, they can't grow in dry. You can only grow them in the sun if they have a lot of moisture. So I would say think about moving it to a different location or try putting it in a location where it has quite a bit of moisture. Okay. Back to the phones we go. Dennis is calling in from St. Paul, I believe. Dennis, you're on with Mary. Hi. Um, so I have 50 questions. I have to narrow it down to two, okay? Okay. If that's okay. So this has to do with um, asparagus and uh, strawberries because I, my wife and I planted asparagus like 15 or so years ago, and I know they have a life, time life of how long they last, and they're not producing very well. So I want to plant new ones. And the same thing with strawberries. I want to put a new batch of strawberries. Um, ordering them, is it, I can do that online, correct? Yes, you can order either of these online uh, as long as it's a reputable grower and you're ready to plant them the day they come. But the planting of these, uh, if I'm, there's so much Google information, but uh, spring sounds like the time, I believe. Am I correct or not? I suppose there's going to be. Yeah, uh, okay, yep. spring. Definitely spring for. Yes, definitely spring for Minnesota, Dennis. Uh, actually, asparagus has a really long life. 
Uh, it will deteriorate if it has weed competition or if it doesn't get enough fertilizer. Asparagus loves to have compost uh, and manure put on it. Uh, so, but if you feel yours is deteriorating, yeah, buy new plants. Strawberries have a much, much shorter life. They, they are, need to be rejuvenated. They need a lot of babying. They need a lot of work. Uh, we have a lot of information on strawberries, rejuvenating strawberries, and planting new strawberry beds up on the extension website. Uh, asparagus, there is information up there too, but asparagus, you get good roots, and if you put the uh, manure on those and they're in full sun, you keep the weeds out. You know, we had asparagus patch the entire, uh, my entire lifetime uh, growing up. It's still there. <clears throat> so asparagus is long term. You know, speaking of the website, and I wanted to, to, to mention that, but we have a texter that uh, says, if I can find it here, oh, yes. Uh, can Mary please help me navigate the extension website to find a list of perennials for Minnesota? That's quite possible, isn't it? Yes, it is quite possible. There are a couple of places on the website where you can find that. So you go into extension.umn.edu, and where it says learn about, you click on yard and garden, and then you have choices for what you want to learn about. Uh, you can, if you click on find plants, it will take you to flowers and growing guides and different choices that are there. There's also a um, wonderful um, uh, database that Julie Weisenhorn has created, and that's under lawns and landscapes under find plants. So that will actually have different, um, you can, there's a, a search engine in her plant uh, database that's available as well. So there are uh, several different places where you can find them. And then sometimes there are individual pages on flocks or daylilies, things like that, and shade gardening if you want uh, plants for shade as well. So much great information on there. Uh, I tell you, I know we have to break here in a couple of minutes, but I want to uh, bring in Lynn from Shoreview on the phone with a question. Lynn, good morning. You're on with Mary. Good morning. I have a Meyer lemon tree that's doing extremely well. It's got uh, six or seven lemons that are just ready to ripen. It's about two feet to three feet high and three feet wide. It's in an eight-inch pot, and I'm wondering if it's going to need a bigger pot. But if I repot it now is it going to disturb the lemons that are just ready to ripen and then there's a few brand new ones coming good question lynn so the citrus uh and meyer lemons they've always got something going on either flowers immature fruit or mature fruit that's just the way those big perennial citrus are and it takes several months for a citrus to ripen but I would say just after you pick ripe lemons, so when there are no really ripe ones on the plant, once you pick those, that's a good time to think about repotting it. Um, these citrus can actually grow in some fairly small pots, but to um, an 8-inch pot, I, I would think about a 10-inch pot. You try not to make such a big leap when you do repot a plant. Uh, go from 8 to 10 inches. Uh, but I would do it right after you pick the lemons. Okay. Dexter says, I used a thatch rake to expose some bare soil on my lawn for overseeding, 
and then I spread the resulting thatch fluff as a mulch in one of my garden areas. Well, Texas says my lawn is about one-third each grass, clover, and crabgrass. Am I unwittingly inviting lawns, uh, the seeds, into my garden and creating more work for myself next spring? <laughs> well, unfortunately, you could be doing that, yes, because you could be transferring the clover and crabgrass seed. Now, the crabgrass, you can pretty much see that. Uh, and that's really starting to uh, put out the seed right now. So that could be deadly. Clover, you might not be able to see that, but you could be transferring both of those seeds. So that's a good mulch and a good idea to do that. But, yeah, you've got to put that uh, someplace where you don't care about the weed seeds. Yeah, good point. All right, we need to take a quick break, Mary, but we'll be back with more uh, more show to come. 651 651- Nine eight nine nine two two six. We have a bunch of text messages, and we're going to grab another call or so when we uh, come back. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to this portion of our Smart Garden Show. Danny Long here with uh, Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. Mary, I think we have time for a call, and we have a bunch of text messages. Uh, I think Ed in Bloomington has been waiting there a while. Thank you, Ed. What is your question? It's about tomatoes, Mary. Uh, previously, I've had failure of my tomatoes in the garden. And I've learned that I shouldn't plant tomatoes back in the same place. So this year I've got four pots on my deck, and they're about 14 inches in diameter and a foot deep. And I got two better boys and two early girls, and they were about six inches tall, and they seemed to do very good at the beginning. But then the potting soil I used was partly had flowering plants from the year before and partly new soil, potting soil. And then they are in full sun. And then they, when they start to get a foot or two tall, they start, the leaves start to curl up, and they just look terrible. And I thought they were dry, but I water them almost every day unless it rains. And maybe one day I'll miss, and I'll look out there, and they're all fading, uh, falling over like they're dry. But I'll water them until water comes out the bottom of the pot, and they seem to revive very quickly if I spray them or water them that way. And the tomatoes uh, are about the size of a ping-pong ball or maybe two inches in some cases. And then they start to turn red right away, and they never get any bigger. What do you think, Mary? Well, Ed, I think you did the right thing by putting them in containers. That is a way to reduce the disease problems that we see on tomatoes. But... They need a lot of water when they're in containers and in full sun. And, yes, it's usually every single day. The one thing you didn't mention was fertilizer. So these tomatoes, they take a lot of fertilizer. So they need a slow-release fertilizer in the container and then liquid fertilizer uh, weekly. That will really help them grow um, as well. So that's the only thing I can think of is that, Yes, they need a lot of water. The soil type should have been fine. Try to keep the foliage as dry as possible. Never water the top. Just always water the bottom and uh, try additional fertilizer. At this point, I would use liquid fertilizer rather than the granular because liquid will be available right away. And just uh, use a a dilute amount, a slow release, and water as much as possible. There's a long question come from the text messages. Uh, when can I spray for weeds after overseeding? It's not something you want to do, do you? 
Well, uh, it depends on what type of a weed killer you're actually using. If you're using a liquid weed killer, that won't uh, hurt your uh, seedlings. But the granular weed killers can be more problematic. So I would wait till your lawn is fully up and growing and uh, then uh, be concerned about the weeds. This time of year, we have a lot more luck with our lawn seed germinating than we do with weed seeds. That's why we recommend you uh, seed in the fall because the lawn hopefully will get up and growing uh, before you have a problem with weeds. So uh, unless you've got a lot of weeds already growing there, I would just concentrate on making sure the seed that you're sowing for a lawn has enough moisture, and I wouldn't worry about the weed control at this point. Okay. Text says this, just cut my lilacs down to a foot off the ground. What can I do to preserve them? Is bone meal good for them? You can put bone meal on. Uh, it It's Oftentimes, lilacs aren't limited by nutrients in the soil. You might want to get a soil test to really see what your nutrient level is. Uh, but the phosphorus that's in bone meal, um, that yeah, that's good for plants. It's amazing that lilacs, especially if they're healthy and vigorous, can be rejuvenated by totally cutting them back like this. Uh, the grass collection at the Arboretum has a huge ho- lilac hedge around it that has been rejuvenated multiple times like this. It's actually quite amazing, and the lilacs seem to really do well with this. So that is one thing. We had a caller earlier who talked about the lilacs dying back. So just pruning your lilacs, taking out any dead wood, uh, thinning them out to improve the air circulation is something that might help invigorate them. Okay. Another text says, can you move asparagus? When and how? I would uh, move asparagus in the springtime just as it's starting to grow. Now that's, um, yeah, I guess you could try it in the fall. These plants are really pretty hardy, but uh, I would do it in the springtime. That will really affect your harvest that first couple of years. But in the spring, it'll have the whole summer to get established. If you do some of it and move it right now, uh, there's just less time before the winter comes for it to get established. Here's another one I think we have time for, Mary. Uh, our, Our daisies have hundreds of little brown spots in the leaves. The flowers bloom beautifully, but the leaves are covered with tiny brown uh, spots. What might that be? There are a number of leaf spot diseases that uh, the daisies can get. Uh, The rudbeckia especially can get that. Uh, And we do see that every year. Unless you buy a type that uh, is resistant to the leaf spot diseases, some of the newer rudbeckias are resistant to leaf spot diseases. But many of them, if they get water on the foliage, they they will develop these brown spots, which are really unsightly. Uh, Moisture, again, is a real critical issue there, especially moisture at night, rain at night, things like that can really increase uh, leaf spot diseases. Texter wants to know, what causes scab on potatoes? How would I amend the soil if the soil is the issue? I rotate uh, planting in the garden so the potatoes are planted in the same area every four years. What do you think, the scab on potatoes? Uh, So potato scab is terrible. 
absolutely terrible. Do not confuse this with apple scab, which we can kind of live with and grow some apples. Potato scab is absolutely deadly. So this, uh, you're going to, you've got to really not have potatoes in an area for a long time to not get scabbed. It's really difficult uh, to get rid of that. You need to go with something like a monocot, uh, plant oats there, plant buckwheat, plant something that's completely different from the Solanaceae family because those, those scab spores can live in the soil for a long time. So I, I don't have a good prognosis for that. Uh, that's difficult. Well, Mary, we have about 60 seconds to go on the show. I want to thank you for all your good work. You guys always uh, help us out and our listeners, too. Let, let's talk about the website for those that maybe have missed it. What, what is that extension website? Yes, uh, the extension website is extension.umn.edu, and then you could click on Learn and then Garden. We've got lots of information up there, and of course we have our Yard and Garden News. You can subscribe to this newsletter. It comes out twice a month, most of the year. Uh, in the dead of winter, we only do once a month, but there's lots of information on there. I was just looking at uh, the how to renovate your strawberry patch. We did one of those uh, in uh, early July. We talk about insects that are coming up, uh, things that are timely, um, information that's, that's related to insects, diseases, as well as uh, what's happening. It's so such a great Extension.umn.edu, right. Extension.umn.edu. Thank you so much, Mary. Let's talk soon. Always a pleasure, Denny. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.